so much, Robin Gill. Takes a lot of courage to stand up here and sing. You don't see me doing it. For more reasons than one. Thanks, Bill. <laughs> oh, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 12 today. Back in our study, uh, following the steps of Christ uh, through the Gospels. And it's a very interesting study. I feel like that's my starting statement every Sunday. Um, but just the, the details in here, the way Jesus handles uh, the scribes and the Pharisees here, and, and he makes, makes known or reiterates again um, some, truth, some truths to them that they overlook and they continue to reject. Um, but where we're going, where we're headed, we're getting close um, to the starting of the parables or to Jesus' teaching of parables, and we'll probably be starting those, um, I would guess, the Sunday after Easter. Um, but I'm looking forward to those. But before we, we start the parables, I want to look at this interaction that Jesus has with, with the scribes and the Pharisees. And I want you to remember before we get into this study, uh, what the scribes and the Pharisees thought about Jesus. The opinion that they had of Him, uh, the way that they had mind, made their mind up about who He was or who He wasn't, for that matter. Remember how they treated Jesus? constantly looking for ways to trip him up, to, to get him caught up where they could make accusations against him, where they could condemn him, where they could bring him down. Uh, remember how they were constantly trying to discredit Jesus, especially in the eyes of the people. They didn't want the people to believe that Jesus was who he said he was. Remember how they rejected Jesus. That's important as we go into this because we'll find them again rejecting Jesus, but we'll find Jesus let them know what is their consequence for rejecting Him. We have another example today of them rejecting Jesus. And I want you to remember that this account follows their accusing Jesus of operating in the power of the devil. Remember, Jesus performed a miracle. The, the, the Pharisees accuse Him before the people saying He is operating under the power of Beelzebub and then Jesus calls them out and makes, makes it clear to them, I am not operating under the power of the devil. I am God in the flesh. Um, so they make this accusation against Jesus. And Jesus here following that is going to lay out clearly for them what their rejection will cost them. So it's, it's a sad passage of Scripture for those who reject Christ, reject Him as Lord, reject Him as Messiah, refuse repentance and, and stay in their self-righteous ways. But it's an encouraging passage for those who have trusted in Christ and, and believed in the claims that He has made, believe in who He is. These people we're looking at today were trusting in their righteousness and they rejected Jesus. Their rejection would cost them dearly. I say that and you say, yeah, it will. But that rejection of Jesus will cost 
every single person dearly that rejects Jesus. Look at our text, Matthew 12. We're going to look at verses 38 through 45. Then certain of the scribes and of the Pharisees answered, saying, Master, we would see a sign from thee. But he answered and said unto them, An evil and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign, and there shall no sign be given to it, but the sign of the prophet Jonas. For as Jonas was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh shall rise in judgment with this generation and shall condemn it, because they repented at the preaching of Jonas. And behold, a greater than Jonas is here. The queen of the south shall rise up in the judgment with this generation and shall condemn it, for she came from the uttermost parts of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and behold, a greater than Solomon is here. When the unclean spirit is gone out of a man, he walketh through dry places, seeking rest, and findeth none. Then he saith, I will return into my house from whence I came out. And when he is come, he findeth it empty, swept, and garnished. Then goeth he and taketh with himself seven other spirits more wicked than himself, and they enter in and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. Even so shall it also be unto this wicked generation. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank You that, that we can look at your, your Word today, that we can look at Your Son and His dealings and, and His message and the way that He worked, the way that He declared truth, uh, the way that He worked Your plan, that uh, He was faithful and that um, he, he cared and He had concern for people and He, he declared the warnings. I thank you so much for his sacrificial death on the cross. I thank you for his atoning work, for the justification that you offer. I thank you for the righteousness that you offer that can only be found in you through your Son, Jesus Christ. I thank you for your faithfulness. I pray that you'll give us understanding today. Please please work in our hearts. Please, please convict us. Please challenge us. Please help us, please. Comfort us. Please encourage us. Please work in these next few minutes. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. As I said, a, a sad portion of Scripture. Because what we have here is we have devout religious individuals. Individuals who had dedicated their lives to a religious cause. They had dedicated their lives to following religious tradition and to religious rules. We see them face to face with the Messiah here. The one that could free them from the bondage of their sin. The law they were trying to follow showed them their exceeding sinfulness. Showed, that, showed them that they came short. That they needed a Savior. They needed a Messiah. They needed something, someone, to forgive them for their trespasses. And what do they do? They reject Him. They had the one standing in front of them that could solve 
their sinful problems and they rejected Him. They think that they are good enough. They think they don't need this Messiah. They think in their own righteous deeds and in their, their good works and their keeping of certain laws and traditions that they had made up, most of them. They thought that that would earn them God's, God's favor and they could reject Jesus and His message. They believed about Jesus that He was a lunatic liar and that He was operating in the power of the devil. And we've seen them respond that way time and time again. We see Jesus here warning them of their spiritual condition. We see Jesus calling them out, making it clear, leaving, should be leaving no doubt in their mind that they needed to repent, that they needed to believe on Jesus. Let's look at these details together though. Verse number 38. Then certain of the scribes and of the Pharisees answered saying, Master, we would see a sign from Thee. So these, these scribes, I want to tell you a little bit about the scribes. We talked about their dedication, um, their, their works that they would do. They had to be 30 years old. They would be very well educated in the Hebrew Scriptures and the rabbinic traditions. They were known as the supreme authorities and the teachers of the law. Most of them were Pharisees. Some of them were Sadducees, but most of them belonged uh, with the sect of the Pharisees. They were authorized scholars and lawyers of Judaism. They were the religious leaders of the day. So, think about who they are, what they were working for, and they were the ones that were leading the spiritual movement, I guess if you will, through the nation of Israel. They were highly respected and honored by the people. A group of these scribes and these Pharisees gain audience with Jesus. And did you see what they say? They call Him Master. That's speaking of teacher. They're referring to Him as a teacher, addressing Him. Uh, it's uh, supposed to be a term of respect. But I want you to think about that. Because what did the scribes and the Pharisees think about Jesus? Did they believe Him as a teacher? Did they believe His claims to be the Messiah? No. So them calling Him Master may have been for the people around them's sake, which I don't think that's true because they were trying to discredit Jesus to the people. Remember, the people started to believe, started to ask, is this the Messiah? And they came in saying, this isn't the Messiah. He's from the devil. He's working with the devil. So it appears that this was a sarcastic term of Jesus calling him master or teacher. They didn't believe what he said. They rejected him. Maybe another possibility is they were trying to flatter him to get him to trip up in, in pride or, or something, but we know Jesus wasn't going to fall for that either. Jesus knew the intentions of these scribes and these Pharisees before they ever opened their mouth with any questions. Right, Jesus, all-knowing God, knew what they were trying to do. He knew their motives. He knew their hearts. knew everything about them. And they tried to come at Him with this, this master, this, this teacher talk. He knew what they were going to say. And it's just so, so interesting to me. I don't want to overlook the fact that Jesus knew everything about these scribes and these Pharisees. He knew their hatred, yet He was still going to 
give them truth another time. He was still going to expose to them the fallacy of their ways, the fallacy of their thought process. This whole scenario was probably these scribes and these Pharisees trying to discredit Jesus, especially in the eyes of those who were contemplating whether he really was the Messiah. So the scribes and the Pharisees had already made it clear that they had rejected Jesus as the Messiah. And here's their question, or their statement. Master, we would see a sign from thee. What are they saying? What are they looking for? They're saying, teacher, if you are who you say you are, show us a sign. Give us proof that you are who you say you are. And they're probably looking for some huge heavenly sign here. They're really trying to discredit Jesus by showing that he couldn't do a sign. But I want you to think about what Jesus had done up to this point. Think of the hundreds, thousands of miracles that Jesus had performed. Proving his authority, giving evidence to his deity. Raise the dead back to life, cast out demons, healed lepers, healed blind, healed deaf. I mean, we can go on and on, right? Jesus had given all these evidences of that he was who he claimed to be. And here this group of people is trying to call him out and say, hey, if you are who you say you are, give us a sign. Well, they'd rejected everything about him up to that point. In Matthew 16.1 and Luke 11.16, the scribes and the Pharisees asked for a heavenly sign. They could have been looking for something crazy, like the moon to fly by really fast, or you know, the sun to stand still, or God to paint the sky multiple colors. You know, I don't know what exactly they were looking for, but they were looking for something so extreme that would undeniably prove that Jesus was who He said He was. So they say, show us a sign. Show us more. Yes, you've done these works, but we want something bigger. Jesus knew how to respond to that, and He calls them out. Jesus knows who they really are and what their true motives were. Look at verse 39. But He answered and said unto them, listen to this, an evil and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign. And there shall no sign be given to it, but the sign of the prophet Jonas. So Jesus doesn't sugarcoat anything here. He calls them out. An adulterous generation? An evil and adulterous generation? The scribes and the Pharisees were the religious leaders of the nation of Israel. They had wandered and they had led people far from God's Word and fellowship with Him. And had instead dove deep down into a man-made religion based on superficial, legalistic self-righteousness. So that's what they were leading the people away from God, leading the people towards self-righteousness. That was binding, that was imprisoning, that led nobody free of anything. They were an evil and an adulterous generation. They were searching for a sign when they had all that they needed right in front of them, which was the Messiah, right there, speaking with them. And their response was rejection. Jesus says, the only sign you're going to get 
is the sign that Jonah foreshadowed. Did you catch that in verse 39? There shall be no sign given to it but the sign of the prophet Jonas. Verse number 40, For as Jonas was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so that the Son of Man be there, or sorry, be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Do you remember the story of Jonah? Do you remember God told him, go to Nineveh? And he says, no, they're wicked. They're bad people. I'm going to go ahead and hide in the ship and I'm going to go to Tarshish as far away as I can get from Nineveh. Doesn't work out too well for him. There's a big storm. He's cast overboard, right? Swallowed by a great fish, a whale, a sea monster, whatever you want to call it. He was inside the, be- the belly of a fish for three days and three nights. After those three days and three nights, he was vomited up on shore. Right? Then was, what does he do? Goes into Nineveh, gives them their warning. And how do the people respond? They repent. Sackcloth and ashes. This wicked, evil city repents. And we'll get to that in a minute. But this three days and three nights typified the burial of the Son of Man. Jesus would die. Jesus would be buried for three days and three nights. But He would raise victorious, which we're going to celebrate in a couple of years. Days, weeks, not years, sorry. He would raise victorious over death and sin. So he tells them, you want a sign? Know this. Remember the story of Jonah? The Messiah will spend three days and three nights buried. And see what happens next. Because that's all he's going to spend in the ground. Something amazing is going to happen. Remember that when I raise from the dead. You want a sign? You'll see me raise from the dead, Jesus says. Don't forget my words. I wonder, looking back at this story, what, how did the scribes and the Pharisees, what were they thinking at this point? They were looking for some great big sign, and Jesus says, the sign of Jonah, pay attention to that, because the Son of Man, the, the true Messiah, God in the flesh, is going to spend three days and three nights in the earth. Can, I mean, I wonder what, what kind of sign is that? I can just imagine them thinking, or show us something big. Continually trying to discredit Jesus and, and doubting Him. Jesus knew what they were thinking. We do know from their thought process or from their future actions, that they still rejected Jesus. So look at Jesus' message for them. The men of Nineveh shall rise in judgment with this generation and shall condemn it, because they repented at the preaching of Jonas. And behold, a greater than Jonas is here. That probably didn't sit too well with the scribes and the Pharisees thinking they had arrived in their self-righteousness, thinking they didn't need Jesus, to hear Jesus tell them that those wicked people of Nineveh are going to stand in judgment and condemn you. They repented. They repented of their ways. There's no willingness to repent from the scribes and the Pharisees. 
the people thought the Ninevites were wicked and that they were good. To hear Jesus say this would be insulting. The thing is, is they're wrong in their thinking because the Ninevites were wicked and the scribes and the Pharisees were wicked. The difference was the Ninevites believed and repented. And as we think of Jesus' words in Luke 5.32, I came not to call the righteous, but the sinners to repentance. Self-righteous individuals think they don't need God. Those who recognize their their sinful ways, their their sinful consequences, and turn to God, there there is forgiveness there. Let's look at Luke chapter 18. Verses 9 through 14. Because I just I want to paint this, this picture. I want to make it clear of what's going on in the mentality of these, these Pharisees. And Jesus knew, Jesus had it figured out. And he spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised. Others. Sounds like who we're talking about, right? Two men went up into the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee and the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank Thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the publican standing afar off would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone that exalteth exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. You see this mentality of, of the Pharisees that, thank you, God, that I'm so wonderful, that I'm so good, that you made me so great. Thank you that I'm not like this horrible, awful sinner. We, we see pride in this, this Pharisee, but we see this humility and this, this brokenness, this repentance in this man. Both sinners, remember that. But there's this attitude of repentance in the one and pride in the Pharisee. Look at verse 41 again in Matthew chapter 12. The men of Nineveh shall rise in judgment with this generation and shall condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonas, and behold, a greater than Jonas is here. Jonah preached to Nineveh, they believed, and they repented. God used Jonah to do a mighty work, and the people listened, the people repented. Jesus says, I am greater than Jonah. I am the way, the truth, and the life. You stand there in rejection of me. Jesus preached to them of who he was and what he had to offer. Jesus performed thousands of miracles, authenticating who he was. I think time change makes me not be able to speak words that I need to speak. The people's response to Jesus was they still rejected him. And Jesus' message to them was, you are an evil and an adulterous generation. 
and without Jesus, you will face certain judgment. When Jesus did rise from the dead, when He came out of the tomb, three days after He was placed inside of it, how did the Jewish leaders respond? They still rejected Him. It was an incredible proof that He was who He said He was. He said, pay attention to the sign of Jonah. It happened. Jesus was in the earth three days, three nights. He rose again. They still rejected Him. They not only rejected the sign, but they paid off soldiers to try and cover it up. Matthew 28. It's a few pages to your right. Verses 11-15. through Now when they were going, behold, some of the watch came into the city and showed unto the chief priests all the things that were done. And when they were assembled with the elders and had taken counsel, they gave large money unto the soldiers, saying, Say ye, his disciples came by night and stole him away while he slept. And if this come to the governor's ears, we will persuade him and secure you. So they took the money and did as they were taught. And this saying is commonly reported among the Jews until this day. They rejected that sign that Jesus said was coming. And they paid off people to lie about the resurrection of the Messiah. Look at verse 42. Jesus gives another illustration. The Queen of the South shall rise up in judgment with this generation and shall condemn it, for she came from the uttermost parts of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, the greater than Solomon is here. So this queen of the south, speaking of the queen of Sheba, she made an estimated 1,200 mile journey to see Solomon. To hear of his wisdom from the Lord. To, to see his kingdom. To see his riches. She made this huge journey. This woman who was wealthy, this woman who was powerful, she saw someone greater than her, someone who had something greater than she had. You can read the story in 1 Kings chapter 10. And she made this huge journey to see him and to hear his wisdom. She came to hear the wisdom of the Lord. And before she left visiting Solomon, here's what she recognized 1 Kings 10 9. Blessed be the Lord thy God which delighteth in thee to set thee on the throne of Israel. Because the Lord loved Israel forever, therefore made he thee king to do judgment and justice. Solomon is world famous for his wisdom and for his wealth. Still today, thousands of years later, Solomon is still recognized for his wisdom, for his wealth, for his greatness. Yes, he had problems at the end of his life, but he is known for wisdom and riches, and greatness. What does Jesus say about Solomon? These, these people would have viewed Solomon highly. They would have known about Solomon. What does Jesus say? I am greater than Solomon. And Jesus is so much greater. Yet they rejected Jesus. They were so caught up in their self-righteous external religion that they rejected the Messiah. They thought they were fine. They thought that they were righteous. They were lost. They were dead in their trespasses and sins. Jesus here gives, in these next few verses, gives an incredible illustration of the reality of self-righteousness. 
Look at these, these verses, 43 through 45. And then I'll just talk quickly about them. When the unclean spirit is gone out of a man, he walketh through dry places, seeking rest, and findeth none. Then he saith, I will return into my house from whence I came out. And when he is come, he findeth it empty, swept, and garnished. Then goeth he and taketh with himself seven other spirits more wicked than himself. And they enter in and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. Even so shall it be also unto this wicked generation. Jesus speaking to this this generation, these these people who were rejecting Him, who were trusting in their self-righteousness. And Jesus here gives this incredible illustration of the result of of self-righteousness, of the result of of rejecting Him and trusting in yourself and, and your righteousness. He gives this illustration that external righteousness is not what we need. We see the story of this man who has an evil spirit. The evil spirit leaves him. When the evil spirit is gone, what is he, he cleans up his act. You know, he, he makes himself morally right. He does good things with himself. The spirit is, is gone wandering, realizes that's not where he wants to be. He's lonely, he's miserable. Comes back bringing seven spirits with him. And the, this man, is, his end is worse than his beginning. He tried to solve his, his problems, his spiritual problems, by putting on a, a moral facade instead of turning in Christ and, and turning to Christ and trusting in Christ. Folks, good works and, and morality and, and trying to do better and, and trying to be better and trying to, to earn God's favor by, by good works will never put us in right standing with God. The only way to be at a right standing with God is through Jesus Christ. Our moral works apart from Christ is just an empty facade, leaving us guilty, leaving us worthy of God's wrath for our sins. And Jesus gives again another illustration to this generation, this adulterous and evil generation that rejects Him. And their consequence was God's judgment and God's wrath. External righteousness is not what we need. We need Jesus. He gave His perfect sinless life. He shed His perfect blood on the cross. He made that that legal transaction with God. He became the satisfactory payment to meet God's just demands. He died, He was buried, and He rose again, raising victorious. And He offers salvation, He offers life, He offers forgiveness. We need Him. He is the only way for salvation. Without Christ, we have no righteousness at all. No matter how moral we may be. We need Jesus. And He is the only way to be declared righteous before God. 
And I don't want us to forget that. You know, I don't want us to have this, this false assurance that we, we can do enough good and, and we can earn right standing with God. Because we can never do enough right to earn a right standing before God. Only Jesus Christ can do that. And it's through Him that we are justified and declared righteous. And only through Him. Jesus is the only way to be declared righteous before God. And I'm so thankful for Jesus, for His finished work. I'm thankful that I can trust in Him and rely on Him and I do not have to try to earn God's favor because I would be so miserable feeling like I could never do enough and wondering, have I done enough? And we don't have to wonder because Jesus paid it all and we can trust in Him, repent, turn to Him, believe in Him. We need Jesus. And I'm so thankful that He is greater. He's greater than any sin problem that I may have. I'm thankful for His faithful testimony while He walked the earth and for His continual work and His finished propitiation. What a wonderful Savior that we have. Let's close in prayer. Dear Father, I thank you for your love to us, for the gift of your Son. I thank you for the salvation that you have provided a way for us. I pray that we will glorify your Son for what he has done, that we will point that, that glory to you and praise you and, and honor you with all that we have. I pray that you will just work in our hearts today, that we will trust completely in you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.